When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Online on DAB+, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are here, of course, for the duration uh, for the next three hours from now until one o'clock. We'll be taking your calls. We'll be taking the temperature of the nation. We'll be discussing why uh, Britain seems to have become lawless, why Britain seems to have become so violent. When did it happen? How did it happen? Uh, How bad is it where you live? And we're also going to try and find out how easy it is to actually get a gun because I bet you any money that many of you have no clue about who you would go and talk to about getting a gun, and that's as it should be. Uh, it should be very difficult to get a gun, but I'm pretty sure that it isn't very difficult. Will Geddes is going to join us later in this hour. He's a security consultant. Uh, he knows a thing or two about firearms. He's worked in special forces. He's been all over the world in various different war zones. But London, Liverpool, Manchester, Glasgow, Sheffield, Bradford even, which has now been named the most dangerous city in Europe, These are all places where people carry guns on a regular basis and they can get hold of guns. And the poor, ghastly, tragic story um, of a little girl aged nine, little Olivia Pratt Corbell, who is now dead as a result um, of a reckless gunman firing bullets into a house where she was living with her mother. She's now dead. The gunman is on the run. And we're being told uh, that everything is being done to capture him. But what has happened to Britain? Can you please tell me? 0344 499 1000. Ben Habib is also here, uh, chairman of Brexit Watch, of course, former MEP for the Brexit Party. We're going to talk to him about the economy. We're going to talk to him about the migrant problem. We've learned today that so many of those people now coming over on these boats are actually from Albania, uh, not at all from any war-torn country uh, in the Middle East or in the Far East or in even Africa. They're actually from Albania. Many of them have been in prison in this country. Many of them have got prison tattoos. Many of them are in drug gangs and have operated in this country, have been deported, and they've come back on dinghies. I mean, what is going on? Is it any surprise that crime is ratcheting out of control? 0344 499 1000. We'll be talking as well uh, about Meghan Markle. She's finally made a podcast, and let me tell you, it is as dire as you might have expected it to be, and we'll be playing that to you as well. 0344 499 1000. Also, Eurotunnel went wrong yesterday. Uh, A lot of people had to get off a train and walk through the tunnel because it broke down. I'm amazed that so far, and it's early in the morning, nobody's brain Brexit. Surely it must be Brexit's fault that the train broke down, mustn't it? Where are those Ramonas when you need them? 0344 499 1000. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's get on it. 
So here we are, we're in the middle of the week, Wednesday morning. It's still a bit uh, warm out there. It's still um, a pretty difficult way to make your way through the summer. Uh, however, we are all still um, somehow managing to survive. Ben Habib is here with us. Ben, a very good morning, morning to you. Um, before we go anywhere else, and I know we've got some very important things to talk about, including, of course, Lawless Britain, the tragic death uh, of a young nine-year-old girl shot um, by accident, it would seem, um, in, a, in a case of just absolute and utter lawless ridiculousness. Um, Rishi Sunak last night was out doing yet another hustings, this time with Times Radio. Um, and he made a rather strange statement, and I just wondered what you think of this. Let's have a look at it. I was a person who set up furlough in a matter of weeks, right? When everyone said to me, well, how will you do this? How will this work? We know, a, we don't even know what the word means, let alone how we're going to administer a system that, that, that is going to actually make sure that we pay the wages of 10 million people. And every single newspaper, as they told me afterwards, had kept space that day to write the story that the system would never work. And it did, because that's what I do, John. That when they come across difficult problems, I get to grips with them and I solve them. That's what I will do as Prime Minister. Sure. Of course he will. Um, he well, seems to have forgotten that when he was Chancellor, he plunged this economy of ours into complete and utter despair um, and into a spiral of doom from which it has yet to recover. Well, there's so much that he revealed of himself in that little clip. Mm. First of all, his fundamental failure to understand what furlough was. Yeah. Furlough wasn't the protection of jobs while the economy was shut down. Furlough was keeping the wolf from the door while the private sector was decimated. Mm. That's what furlough did. Lockdowns are the principal reason we're experiencing so many of the problems we're facing right now, including the cost of living crisis. Mm. So when he talks about solving problems, I'm sorry, Rishi, you created a massive problem. But the other thing that he utterly revealed in that video is a self-belief to the point of total hubris. Mm. How is it that Rishi Sunak is the one in splendid isolation, sitting around, concocting intellectual solutions to the nation's problems? He surely has advisers from whom he should be, you know, gaining advice. He should be, it should be a collective mm. cabinet responsibility for the governance of this country. But in that one statement, what he effectively confirmed, which you and I know, Mike, is that he is a big state politician. Yeah. He thinks he's got the answers. And so he wants to enrich the state, grow the size of the state, so he can deliver the medicine to the electorate in the way that he thinks we would be best served. Yes, he's one of those politicians who thinks he knows best what to do with our money. He does, In absolutely. other words, he wants to take it all off us and then give it back to us in dribs and drabs. I mean, I'm sick to death of his kind of policies, which seem to be, if you can't afford anything, don't worry, we'll just give you the money. Absolutely. I mean, and it's ridiculous. You know, at the beginning of this Tory party uh, contest for leadership... You know, he was saying that I'm not going to cut taxes. I'm going to come up with schemes about how we're going to give you money. Mm. He just can't cut taxes because to cut taxes for him is an ideological failure. You know, he sees that as him giving up the strings of authority and power mm. back to the people. And he doesn't trust the people. Yeah. And, you know, this battle over taxes masks a much deeper battle for an ideological battle between Truss and Sunak, mm. where Sunak is big state, high taxation, I have the answers, I'm going to give you those answers. 
and trusses. I'm going to cut taxes. I'm going to empower people. You have to take responsibility yes. for yourself. And that is where we need to go as a nation. Exactly. And he's effectively saying to people, look, I'm not going to give you the money back that I've taken off you uh, because I took it off you in order to pay for the things that I didn't ask you whether you wanted. <laughs> no, it's really? a kind of odd, odd place to be. I feel like a battered, yeah. uh, an abused husband, you know, that somebody's just beating me up, taking my money and running off with it. And then every now and again coming back to give me a tenner so I can go out and get buy a pack of cigarettes. You know, it's oh, well, they probably can't for a tenner anymore. But it is nonsensical. Also, he's it's got this affectation now where he's something like a cross between Alan Partridge and Tony Blair. <laughs> and he's, he's, I mean, people say this to me. And if you close your eyes, you hear Tony Blair's voice. He's even yeah. got the sort of dropping of the odd T to make him sound a bit more laddish. You know what I mean? Because I know, I know about that. And it's like, Rishi, mate, you, the, the act is not working. It's wearing incredibly thin. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he, I, I think he's thoroughly discredited, frankly. Yeah. And any MP backing him is backing the wrong horse. And um, I was actually quite encouraged. I know people speak very highly about Michael Gove, but I think Michael Gove was a turncoat when it mm. came to Brexit. He was he, he promoted Brexit and then he said we can't f- afford not to have a deal. Yes. And in that one statement, he undermined Brexit. Yes. So also, was there I, a secret message when he said? Um, I think Rishi Sunak should be the next Prime Minister. And by yeah, the way, it might I'm have been ret- him. And now, and now I'm actually retreating from frontline politics just in case he is. I mean, it's, not a, it's, a, it's a kind of confusing message, isn't it? It is, yeah. And, I, you know, for me, that was the kiss of death. It was like Judas yes. anointing Rishi Sunak. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, Rishi's complete. Anyway, he's not going to be Prime Minister. No. Thank goodness well, it's going to be hope mistrust. Not. Yeah. Let's hope not. But one of the reasons that we're talking about this, and it may seem odd that we didn't start with the horrible shooting death of, of a nine-year-old girl, is that it's all connected because we, we are living currently in a kind of leaderless, rudderless state, aren't we? We haven't got anybody at number 10. Boris Johnson's on holiday. People are writing about how he's on holiday with people half his age, um, and it all looks a bit weird. Um <laughs> But there's literally nobody to get to grips with the migrant problem, which is getting bigger by the day. Uh, We're getting more and more evidence that these people are criminals who are coming here. Maybe not all of them, but a very good substantial uh, number, probably 50 percent at the very least. We've got, you know, lawlessness, crime running out of control, not just this shooting. This is kind of the culmination of a series of events that have happened. You know, the killing, the knifing to death of a man in a mobility scooter. You know, gangs of kids running rampant in Oxford Street, just raiding shops and running out with stuff. You know, I mean, there's nobody here to just grip policy and say, this is what we need to do. Yeah, I'm very glad that you drew that all together, Mike, because it's, you know, there's a propensity to look at each one of these issues in isolation. Mm. But of course, they're not isolated. They're part of an integrated failure of actually three years of rudderless government. Mm. You know, Boris Johnson had an 80 seat majority, which he could have wielded. I know he had COVID to deal with, but he could have wielded that 80 seat majority to really make significant changes for example, dealing with the migrant mm. issue. Why could, why could the steps not have been taken during lockdown to ensure that people coming across the channel could not do it? Mm. He, he, Boris Johnson wanted one thing, which I don't want this interview to become a thing about Boris Johnson, but he wanted one, one thing more than anything else, and that was to become prime minister. Yes. And then w- w- once he was gifted that huge privilege, mm. he didn't know what to do with right. it. And, and that's where we are. We have a breakdown in... Um, government idea of where it's going. We have a breakdown in just about every single service provided by mm. government from law enforcement, judicial system, rail services, yep. national health service, um, uh, teachers. You know, everything is in disarray and it's getting worse because we're going to have these strikes. We've got this cost of living crisis, which is putting everyone on their back foot. And as you say, Boris Johnson's on holiday. Mm. We're having a Tory party conference. All I can pray for, uh, not conference, contest. All I pray for is that 
in this time, Liz Truss is actually doing more than just contesting. She's getting her plans ready. Yes. She's got three months, I think, Mike, three months from when she takes over as prime minister yeah. in which to deliver all her policy agenda. Yeah. She's got to press buttons it needs very to be done hard quick, and fast. Doesn't it? It and I mean, you does. say conference uh, in error, but actually, you're right, because no sooner will we have a new prime minister, they'll all be off on conference season. Yeah. <laughs> and they'll all be off to Brighton or Liverpool, wherever they're going. Um, and we won't get anything done that week either. And it seems extraordinary to me um, that we're just sort of sitting here waiting. You know, we've been waiting since February for them to do something about the fuel costs. We're told there's going to be another cap which will raise the price even more in October. People are literally at the end of their tether. They don't know what to do. They yeah. can't afford what they're paying now, and they certainly can't afford what they're about to have to pay. It's a slow train crash. Yeah. And, and again, I'm afraid Rishi Sunak is in the crosshairs of responsibility for this. As we unlocked, mm. a lot of people said, and you and I said on this show, that actually they should be reducing taxes on business. They should be reducing taxes on, on, on the cost of mm. goods so that people could trade out of the problems. This fuel crisis is not of the making of Ukraine. Mm. This fuel crisis was with us before it Ukraine started long kicked before, off, didn't it? Long before. Mm. And we were all, uh, you know, I was absolutely gobsmacked when he put national insurance up. Yeah. Well, what was the problem? Because per- everyone said at the time, this is not the time. You know, OK, it was a good idea when you came up with it in February, but let's not do it. Yeah, and he ab- went ahead and did it anyway. Did it anyway. And... Um, so, you know, we're in a very bad place. And actually, I think now that you mentioned the Tory party conference, what Liz Truss should do is cancel it. Yeah. And that would that's be a, a real statement, a real statement yes, that she that's means an business. excellent plan. Yeah, that's absolutely what they should do, because people are sick to death of nothing being done. And they want something to be done. And sometimes when you're in that place, it's actually a bad place to be because they're happy if you do anything. You know, it's like when people said to Keir Starmer, oh, that's a good idea that you had about the, uh, the fuel costs, because there weren't any other ideas out there. No. It was the only one that they were offered. But we're with Ben Habib. This is the independent Republican Mike Graham. We'll have more coming next right here on Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Ben Habib is here, chairman of Brexit Watch, of course. We listened to what Birmingham Hustings Rishi said uh, about how he got things done and he fixed things. Well, I've got some bad news for Rishi Sunak, the former chancellor, uh, because, Ben, there's a story today saying that an awful lot of uh, hospitality companies, a lot of pubs might close before Christmas this year because they simply haven't recovered from the lockdown. No, they haven't. I mean, you know, the hospitality sector, retail sector... Um, shops on Oxford Street, none of these have really recovered from lockdown. And if you like, they were absolutely in the eye of the storm of, of lockdowns. And the other thing that you know I'm so critical of Rishi of mm. was the lack of support he gave businesses that operate in the physical world as we came out of lockdown. Yes. You know, there's an invidious tax business rate. So it's a, it's a tax on property. Mm. You just opening your shop you get taxed. Yeah. You haven't made any profit. You have maybe not even sold a single item yes. and you get taxed. And that was one area he needed to really reform in order to allow these physical businesses mm. to operate as we unlocked. Yes. And the other area, of course, Mike, is to cut tax on booze, cut mm. tax on fags. It, th- there may be sinful products in some people's eyes, but actually they, you know, they're big consumer items. Yes. And it would have helped the pub industry tremendously. Do you think that as well, um, because they're sort of addicted to VAT and the the receipts that now the Treasury is getting and making from, say, petrol stations and from energy bills and all of that, they're almost addicted to that money, that revenue, because they're making an absolute fortune, aren't they? Uh, Absolutely. Well, you know, taxes now are higher than they have been as a proportion Mm. of GDP since World War Two. Yeah. Um, you know, so when Rishi talks about, oh, I'm a low tax chancellor, well, mate, no, you aren't. You've taken taxes to record levels. And he's done it through stealth. Mm. You know, it's not 
obvious because he hasn't yeah. raised the marginal rate of income tax to 80%, but he's done it by freezing thresholds, raising national insurance, increasing um, green you know, to taxes on on, on uh, you know green taxes on yeah. on, on fuel, etc. Yeah. yeah, and so you don't notice it, and slowly we've mm. been enveloped with this massive tax take from the state. But of course, if you're Rishi and you think you know everything, you want all the money in yeah. your pocket so you can spend it wisely. And you think you're entitled to? I mean, Alison Pearson's got a piece in the Telegraph today with a headline: "What is the NHS doing with our 136 billion quid?" Quite. Because I mean, I don't know about you, but it doesn't seem to have improved any since we started no. paying all this extra money which was meant to go towards cutting back on the waiting list. Now, we're told um, that they have somehow reduced the longer-term waiting list, so nobody uh, is waiting as long as more than, say, three years. But there's still plenty of people waiting up to three years, and the waiting lists go on and on and on. I know, I know loads of people, and we hear from them every day, um, who've just gone private and just gone, we can't really afford to go private, but we have to. Uh, you know, another consequence of lockdown is the NHS being in trouble. Yeah. It hasn't saved lives. You know, we've got a running excess death rate now consistently yeah. uh, as a result of uh, NHS's inability to cope. Cardiovascular diseases going undetected during lockdown, mm. cancer going undetected, and all of that now hitting home, if you like. And we're, we're likely to see a strike from nurses too later mm. this year. So the problem's going to be exacerbated. Yeah. The waiting list for the NHS before lockdowns was 4 million. It's now 7 million. Mm. We've got a country which is spiralling out of control. And it sounds really depressing, mm. but that is literally what is happening at and, the moment. And the thing that's more staggering than that basic fact is that nobody seems to be doing anything about it. You know, we're literally sitting here talking about a nine-year-old girl being shot dead in her own house by an assailant who came in from yeah. outside. Um, we've got a police force that seemingly can't control crime at all uh, as, as, as more and more cases don't get solved, more and more uh, investigations don't get made. Um, the border force, who have seemingly no idea of how to stop these illegal migrants. I was saying this yesterday, watching some of these boats arriving. It's actually an incredibly efficient system of travel. It's like the most efficient way to get to Britain now because you arrive uh, in Dover or wherever it is, they help you off the boat, uh, mm. they give you a medical, they hand you a bag of goodies as a welcome bag, they take you onto a, a bus, they drive you to a hotel, they give you a nice room, they put you up, they don't ask you to pay any electricity bills, they don't have to worry about the cost of living, they give you food. I mean, it's yeah, incredible. Yeah, it's Nirvana. If you make the journey, yeah. you're, you're And you're Nirvana. never leaving. Yeah, so there's hardly a deterrent there. You know, I used to say that the Rwanda policy wouldn't work. Yes. Actually, I think the Rwanda policy has now encouraged people to come across mm. because they launched the policy and in doing it, they basically said everyone's welcome to come into yeah. the UK and then you can run we'll, the gauntlet. But we'll, fl well, you've got a good chance of flying to off to Rwanda. <laughs> or not. Yeah, or not. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. I still think the Rwanda policy would work if they actually did it because people might not want to go there. Yeah. But clearly they know better than we do that it's never working. Th and the fact that now uh, we know so much about the Albanian crime uh, wave that's coming here, many of them are people who have been deported already. I can only assume that when they were deported, um, they did away with all of their sort of credentials and all of their passports, and they just come back illegally. That's why they come back illegally on a dinghy, because nobody knows yeah, who they, they are. Come, yeah, and, you know, we, we have this ridiculous situation now where Albanian smugglers, if that's what you want to call them, are advertising their services on TikTok. Yeah. They're giving, yeah. you know, bus services all the way from Albania right, right across Europe to the French I mean, coast. They must be laughing all the way to the bank, literally, because <laughs> it's incredible. And, you know, the increase in gun crime... 
may well be down to uh, the influx of these drug gangs that are running Britain. It's all um, related, as And we many said, of yeah. them are, are connected to Albania. Many of them are connected um, to Liverpool as well. And so who knows? I mean, it's too early to say what the reason was. There was a guy running down a residential street with a gun shooting at two other yeah. people. But it wouldn't be... Uh, you wouldn't have to be Inspector Clouseau to suggest that it might be, gun- and, you know, drug-related. I, I read this morning that a retired police officer was ba- blaming the judicial system for mm. not getting to grips with the problem. Yeah. But actually, this isn't a judicial... Uh, this is not a, uh, a problem with the courts. This is a problem with the police. Yeah. You know, only 7% of serious crimes result in an arrest, mm. and then half of those are dropped. Yeah. You know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. 3.5% of serious crime end up in court. Mm. Of those... About 80% get convicted, believe yes. it or not. It's quite a high conviction rate once you get to court. Yeah. But that's 2%, roughly 2% of all serious crime. Mm. Now, But then uh, after that, they may not actually go to jail because you can be convicted. And nowadays, you probably don't go to prison unless it's about a third or a fourth or maybe even a tenth conviction. Yeah, because no, no, cause the prison, yeah, cause the prison service yeah. can't cope. And I think it was Robert Peel who identified when he set up the police force in the first place, that it's not the severity of punishment that matters, it's the knowledge that you will be caught and punished. Yes. And so the problem here is with the police, mm. and we, we need to get a grip of that. And it's the same problem with Border Force. Mm. Border Force need to do their job. Mm. They need to get to grips with what's going on across the channel. They're not a taxi service. We're not employing them to provide safe passage for these people. We're employing them to deter them from coming to the United Kingdom. And the problem as well uh, is that we have a sort of establishment in this country who ideologically thinks that people coming here illegally on dinghies is a good thing. I find it extraordinary that you argue with these people, whether it's on social media or, or, or even on the phone here, where they say, yes, but we must be a welcoming country. No, people are taking advantage of our welcoming country. People are coming here to do harm to the people of this country because they're in criminal gangs from Albania. And I'm sorry if people think that's in some way smearing all Albanians. It's not. But the people who are coming here on boats from Albania are not coming here, you know, to operate a charity. Let's put it that way. Well, they're not coming here for our good, that's for sure. They certainly aren't. And, and, and the point is they're definitely economic migrants. That's the best yeah. interpretation you can put on it. And that is not a valid reason to cross into, into the United Kingdom illegally. Yes, and all of the things that we're talking about which are failing are, guess what, all part of the purview of the Home Office, which seems to be completely and utterly unfit for purpose. I mean, I think it was, um, uh, what's his name, Reid, wasn't it, who said uh, that the Home Office wasn't fit for purpose back then, back uh, in the yeah, Blair yeah, days yeah, of yeah, government, yeah. Uh, John Reid. And it turns out that it's still not fit for purpose. And Pretty Patel, meanwhile, is nowhere to be seen. She popped her head up the other day to say how great it was that it was the anniversary of us messing up in Afghanistan. She apparently thought that was really a good job well done. Well, it isn't, because we've still got 9,000 Afghans here who don't have anywhere to live. Yeah, I mean, Afghanistan, of course, was an unmitigated foreign policy yeah. disaster. Of 20 years of massive expenditure, the result of a failed state. Mm. Yeah, absolutely unbelievable. Well, um, I think we've I think we've explained the state we are in. We will continue today to try and figure out how to get out of the state we are in. Ben Habib, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Mike. Uh, we'll see you again soon. Um, this is, of course, the Independent Republican Mike Graham. It's time for the news. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV with you all the way through until one o'clock. Of course, Nick Dubois uh, is here in for Ian Collins, taking you in uh, through the afternoon. Uh, I'll be back on the talk tonight again at nine o'clock. But I'm delighted to say right now, uh, we thought we'd better get the help of an expert uh, in the matter at hand. And then Will Geddes is joining me here in the studio. Will, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you, Mike. Uh, International security expert. The reason I wanted to talk to you, Will, is because, you know, looking at what dreadful events happened up in Liverpool, where a man is running down a residential street 
street literally firing a gun sort of at will at two guys who were running away from him. And he then turns the gun onto a woman and her child inside a house. I mean, it doesn't bear thinking about. Um, I thought you'd be the guy to talk to about Lawless Britain because you see it, you work in it, you know, you have to help people deal with, with, with criminal gangs and criminality and that kind of thing. And I was saying to the guys this morning, I bet you any money, if I really wanted to get a gun today in this office, probably not through our security guys downstairs, but I could probably get my hands on a gun this afternoon. Yeah, you could. It is that simple, Mike. Um, in terms of the access to firearms, there are lots of different levels of firearms that you can acquire. Yeah. I mean, inevitably, there's a lot of burglaries of farmers where yeah. shotguns are taken. Yeah. Uh, and that's a serious problem, obviously, in the counties. Uh, there is organized crime who have the far more sort of military mm. level of firearms which they can access and quite often these weapons will be recycled so they'll be used in crimes down in London and yeah. then traded or sold to crime gangs up in Liverpool, right. Liverpool to Birmingham, Birmingham to Manchester mm. uh, and those are the much more sophisticated ones. There's also uh, these gas firing weapons. Now right. I could give you a website where you could go over to Calais, pick up a gas type fired weapon right. like a Makarov uh-huh. which would be set for a parabellum mm. of nine millimeter and so what is that effectively does it fire a bullet what does it fire well you, with a very very minor amount of uh, um, engineering you could adapt it to fire a nine millimeter round okay. and most of them are what we would call a fire and forget so you would probably put about sort of five six seven eight rounds through it and then literally ditch it because right. the thing would fall apart okay but you'd so only be paying about 150 euros is though. that effectively an air, an air gun that you modify then correct so you also have air guns or you have replica guns which mm. could be reactivated. You also there's a, this big leap loophole in the law right now. And I was talking to a good friend of mine, Shay Doyle, who's mm. brought a book out called Deep Cover, who was a tier one undercover uh, police officer who mm. was infiltrating organized crime gangs. We were talking about it and he said to me, Will, one of the biggest loopholes right now are things like antique weapons like Webley's, yes. which although they are now legal to own because the parabellum, the, the ammunition to put in them is less easy to get your hands mm. on, it actually doesn't take a great deal to manufacture uh, the munitions to be able to put through a Webley, but mm. it's not illegal to use them. But the prices for those have gone up to 3000 you know, right. £4,000 per, per weapon. Because I remember doing stories back in the day when um, uh, the Bataclan massacre happened over yeah. in Paris and the, the Charlie Hebdo as well. And it was said that an awful lot of the guns that were used in those two attacks had come from sort of Eastern Europe, post-Balkans War, that kind of thing. You know, some of them maybe sort of Russian-made military um caliber type stuff and it didn't cut a lot of it didn't get to britain because the channel was a kind of border that people couldn't pass guns across but i presume that's changed well i mean when you look at people smuggling when people are smuggled over it is rare that they aren't coming with some kind of contraband on boards whether that be drugs whether that be weapons a lot of those firearms from the balkan states particularly coming from romania there is a big channel of weapons coming in from that particular Mm. part. Grenades, for example, coming from former Yugoslavia, Balkan areas as well. So again, a lot of these weapons are coming into the UK. If you are within certain criminal groups, you can acquire them. But again, if you're not, you can still go through various different routes, as I've mentioned, Mm. of acquiring something that could be reactivated even with very basic skills. Because that's the other thing. I mean, an awful lot of these boats that come to this country, yes, we see them being escorted in by border force and R&L and all that. But I know for a fact, just because I live 
live down there. That there's loads of parts of the beach down in uh, in the southeast of this country where you can just land a boat and you don't see anyone. Yeah. And you just get out of the boat and wander into the town. Now you don't know whether those boats have got all sorts of contraband in them. Uh, and they more than likely do, Mike. Mm. I mean, that's the that's the big challenge. And you're absolutely right. I've been down on the south coast, and it isn't that difficult to get no. a rib boat. Well, it's just a massive, yeah. flat coastline, isn't it? I mean, you just yeah. I mean, Dover's unusual because you've got cliffs, mm. but actually most of it is very very flat, easy to land a boat. Yeah, you could come into Canberra Sands. You could come into yeah. virtually anywhere around that sort of the, the flatter parts mm. there, particularly that sort of threshold between the Isle of Wight yes. and Brighton. There's All you got to do is stay away there. from the sewage, and then now there's a shark apparently in the water <laughs> as well, that? which might be. Quite a good, might be quite a good deterrent. They spotted one today, apparently, down the channel. But talk to me about um, yeah. the crime in the city of London, because you and I have spoken about this yeah. recently. You put out a clarion call to people to say, you know, we'll put a squad together to stop all these gangs, because we're now seeing brazen, literal daylight robbery going on. People uh, in cars uh, just driving into p- other people, stealing their watches, you know, holding them up at gunpoint, knife point. It's incredible. There have been recorded in the last month, Mike, about 60 watch robberies, particularly around the Knightsbridge, Kensington, Chelsea, Mayfair area. Mm. Uh, and it's inevitably going to be around that area because you've got a lot of people with affluence who are wearing yeah. very expensive watches. Mm. And then a lot of Middle Eastern guys, particularly the chap who was in the Bugatti Chiron, you know, he was a Kuwait guy who'd come over. A lot of them will come over because it's obviously incredibly hot in their own country. They come over to England for some respite from the from the temperature. Yeah. However, there were in one week from uh, sorry one day in uh, in Chelsea and Kensington, a contact of mine within the police told me of twenty phone robberies and phone robberies are on the up as mm. well. So people think you know you've got a sophisticated phone that's got Find My device and you can block it and you can stop it and everything yeah. else. But those phones are, are basically stolen and then taken overseas for secondary market right. sort of sales. And they can jailbreak the, the systems. Anyway, yeah, they can, they can get around it. I mean, Apple does have the capability mm. to potentially do it from, from a sort of an admin level, but there's just way too many going on. Yeah, Like you said, I put a clarion call out on my Instagram, um, particularly after a very nasty robbery that was taking place in Chelsea with a man and a woman, and many of the, the listeners and viewers have probably seen it already on social media. Mm. And I just basically said, I'm fed up with this. Uh, the police are doing the best they can. And I know some of the police, they, they're just under-resourced. But I said, look, I'd be happy to put a team together, ex-military, ex-special forces, ex-elite forces, parachute, yeah. regiment, uh, Royal Marines, uh, some police. We do it in an appropriate way, but we set up bait traps uh, across you certain parts it. of London. And we catch these guys and uh, and we basically, you know, zip tie them, hand them over to the cops, but video and record the entire thing. So we're looking at the options of how Mm. if we could do that, how we can do it. And sometimes that's all you need to do. Just got a bit of breaking news, Will, while you're here. Detectives investigating the murder of Olivia Pratt Corbell on Monday night have arrested a man in connection with their inquiries. He's 35 years of age, suspected of being the target of the shooting. He's been detained in hospital on a prison recall after breaching the terms of his licence, but they're still searching uh, for the gunman. They've asked um, uh, yesterday in a press conference for the sort of uh, the underworld, if you like, the criminal fraternity, as they call them, um, to open up their... Uh, their information boxes and try and find these guys. Do you think there's any hope of that? No, it's never going to happen, Mike. Um, Unfortunately, all these various different tiers of organised crime, whether it be low-level 
uh, drug dealers. You know, as my friend Shay was telling me this morning, I gave him a call about this and said, you know, from your from your experiences, you know, how is this generally set up? They do tend to keep the weaponry in separate tier groups, mm. but the lower level scumbags, sort of drug dealers and uh, drug operators, they will be able to get their hands through mm. the various different means I mentioned earlier. So yeah. I think putting the call out to uh, the criminal fraternity, asking them to disclose or give up any information, I think is uh, wishful thinking. Yes, well, let's hope they get somebody in and get somebody soon, but uh, they seem to be closing in on at least one of the characters who was involved in the incident. Will, thank you very much indeed. Always a as pleasure, ever, sir. Uh, as I thought, uh, as Will Geddes just told you, uh, if you did want to get a gun and if you were up to no good, you'd probably already either have one or you would be able to get one uh, pretty damn quick. You wouldn't have to wait very long. Somebody would find one for you, which is a terrible state of affairs that we have in this country. What point is, what are we going to do? 0344 499 is the number. Uh, we're going to take your calls coming up. Also, we're going to talk about Meghan Markle. She's finally made a podcast and it's dreadful. What do you expect? For heaven's sake, this is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Coming up in this hour, we're going to be joined uh, by Serge Kefai, who's a head teacher at the Sacred Heart School in London, because the GCSE results are out tomorrow, right? Uh, and we've got lots to talk about uh, in terms of the education of our children, because it's not so much about how well people are doing at their A-levels, how well people are doing the GCSEs, because if you don't have kids, you don't really care about that. Uh, but what about the idea, floated yesterday by Tony Blair, uh, of all people, that we should abolish GCSEs and A-levels, because in the end it doesn't actually make for very good education of our own children it doesn't really make them prepared to go to work I'm not sure he's right about that. I'd like to hear from you on it as well. 0344 499 1000. Lots of you have got things to say uh, about the migrant problem, particularly with regard to Albania. We'll get into that as well. And Maggie Oliver joins us too. Uh, she's going to be telling us why she believes it's absolutely nothing ridiculous to allow Rotherham to become the UK's first ever children's capital of culture, given uh, what we know that went on in Rotherham uh, with grooming gangs and young girls uh, who were basically sexually assaulted and raped uh, by men over a very long period of time many of whom were never punished for it 0344 499 1000 Kenny says Mike uh, I worked in Kosovo 20 years ago uh, with K4 my Albanian assistant at the time told me his cousin was going to Italy where he could get a UK passport and go to England his literal words Ken my cousin he go Italy get UK passport go to the UK it's very good and that I'm telling you, it was 20 years ago. Um, absolutely unbelievable stuff. Border force officers bring, being, bringing in Albanian migrants who are getting increasingly aggressive, says David. They then complain about it. The answer is absolutely obvious. It is. Um, and uh, here's one from somebody who doesn't give a name. Mike is an ex-prison officer. We always liked an Albanian on the wings. They could and would enforce the unwritten law. The prison service is indeed broken. Well, that is the problem, isn't it? The problem, um, Tyson Fury um, uh, was talking, of course, about this on TalkSport earlier uh, because his own cousin um, was stabbed to death in Manchester in Altrincham outside a bar in an altercation just earlier this week. I just had a cousin murdered last yeah. week with knife crime. Knife crime. The most cowardly little house thing anybody can do. Agreed. Stab somebody. Agreed. Um, the government, the United Kingdom, we're supposed to be one of the safest countries in the world. But yet we can't go down the street with a watch on or anything because we're going to get stabbed. Agreed. The government needs to make this tougher on these little cowards who carry knives and weapons. Yeah, so yeah. Keep, keep your well, language keep well your said, language in order, Tyson. But give us a message yeah, yeah. about that before you go. What is your message? Keep your language what, in what, order. What, uh, yeah, 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 my language is in order. What these government needs to do about this knife crime 
anyone caught with an eye for stabbing someone needs castrating. It's too good of it. It cost us the government too much money to house them in a prison. It cost them 50, 60 grand a year to put these scumbags in jail. Castrate the little b- Sorry, swore. Okay. Listen, Tyson. And castrate them, yeah. toughen them up, make it five to seven years even for carrying a knife. Well, else scumbag coward needs to carry a knife around with them in our country. Tyson Fury. What on earth has happened? that we now need to hear from Tyson Fury, a man who's lost a member of his family, one of his cousins, murdered by a man with a knife. He says, lock them up. Five to seven years for just carrying one. Castrate them, he says, uh, if they use the knife. People will get very, very angry about this. I'm getting loads of messages from people saying, we've got to stop what's happening in this country, if necessary, by our own hand. And that's a dangerous place to be. You do not want people taking the law into their own hands. You certainly don't want that. Let's talk to Serge uh, Sefai. He's a head teacher at Sacred Heart School. I met him the other day uh, when I was waiting to go on with Jeremy Carl over in uh, the other studio in Ealing. Uh, and I was terribly impressed with Serge. He talks a lot of sense. He's been in the education game for a very long time. Um, and what's even better is that he says, you know, he's been at it long enough and he doesn't have to care now what he says because he can say whatever he thinks. Serge, welcome to the Independent Republic. Hi, Mike. Hi, Thanks very much for joining us. I mean, we've got to start really with the knife crime because you're in charge of several secondary schools. Um, mm. You must see an awful lot of youngsters getting involved in altercations of one kind or another. Have you yeah. seen a change in recent years of the way well, that they, honest, they operate? No, not a change. I think it's getting more media coverage. But we've had this problem for, for a long, long time, especially in the city areas. And, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, let's have a look at our youth justice system. Full stop. That's what we've got to look at. I don't think it's fit for purpose anymore. Mm. Uh, I know that as a head teacher of two schools, you know, we are held to account. I've got the GCSE results this week. I've got the A-level results last week. Ofsted inspectors walk in. They're looking at my attendance, exclusion rates. You name it. There's quite a few ways that schools are held to account. Well, someone needs to tell me, um, because the late, the, one of the things that's connected with what you talked about is how they hold us to account, is the number of excluded children. And they're very keen on us keeping exclusions down. Mm. Well, I've already told whoever wants to listen, any child that walks into my, any of my schools with a knife is never walking back in that school again. So you'll same kick them out. Drugs. Same, same with drugs. And I don't care if someone wants to come in and say your exclusion levels are too high. I think that's the right message to send to our kids. But why is it? I don't know. And I've asked for many years in the local authority, you know, who are doing the best they can, We've got an awful lot of money being thrown towards youth offending teams. And I want to know what the reoffending percentages are mm. for these youth offenders. I also want to know that all the children in schools that get ex- permanently excluded for really serious stuff, and it usually happens around adolescents, 14, 15 year olds, right. you can look it all up. You know, how many of those kids have actually been under social services care from, for 10, 15 years? And goodness knows how much money that has cost. And where's the accountability there? Okay, we get the odd terrible like baby P case, although we've had several this year. So let's look at the youth justice system to see if it's fit for purpose, Mm. to try and make damn sure that these kids know that the power in the land actually lies where it should do, i.e. law and order, not the gangs. Because that's what kids are being drawn to, because the police... I'm not really sure I understand what goes on there. I do know that I imagine a lot of them feel they've been cut off at the knees in terms of credibility and influence. Mm. 
uh, and uh, we need to think about what are we talking to our kids. I can only tell you, I don't know how long we've got, but one of the things that I've never recovered from, and it happened to me 10 years ago, uh, two kids, quite nice kids actually, in year 10, never really any trouble in school. But over the summer, and I'd always kept close links with our local police, I've always invited them into school. I've never let it be known by the kids that it's us against them or any of that trendy Wendy rubbish, mm. you know. And um, what I found out that they'd actually gone mugging with a plastic gun in a different area, you know. And I'd already decided. Wow. My my link had told me, and I got in, and uh, I knew what I was going to do. And I wasn't going to permanently exclude because I had a good record going into year eleven. It was a plastic gun. But I knew that I was going to do a fixed term exclusion. And as soon as they walked in the door, I got them in my office and I say, I want you to tell me what you've been doing over the summer holidays. They wrote down, really apologetic. Sorry, sir, we were messing around. But obviously they scared the life out of someone with a pretend gun. Mm. I, I was going to get the parents in and put them through the mill, put them in front of the governors and give them one final chance. The following day, I get a phone call from their lawyer whose opening remark to me was, um, I hear you've been taking statements from my clients. Goodness me. Yeah, goodness me. And uh, then I said, excuse me, your clients are my pupils who I've known for four years. Right. And I've known their parents and everything else. And they've told me what they've done over the summer. And I'm going to make damn sure that they never do it again. Otherwise, they'll never step back in my school. Anyway, uh, I then, after he said to me, I think you've gone beyond your remit. I'm afraid I did get a little bit rude. <laughs> but what it did tell me is that actually we have a youth justice system where most people who I know will listen to your program will say, well, when we bring up children, we've got to make damn sure that they know the difference between right and wrong. Mm. So while we're telling them, well, you're going to take a punishment, you're going to learn, and hopefully you won't do it again. We've got very educated and qualified people saying, no comment. I'll get you off on the technicality. Yeah. And, and what about the making... parents? And what happened to oh, the, parents, the parents, sir? The parents were torn. The parents were torn. On one hand, they didn't want their kids to have a criminal record. Right. So they were being swayed by the lawyer. On the other hand, they didn't want their kid to go, luckily, my schools are very good and people want to come to them. I had a good relationship with them. They didn't want me to kick them out. Uh, so in the end, I just disregarded what the lawyer was saying. I did what I was going to do from the start. And uh, But it does dawn on me, there's an awful lot of money, and I mean an awful lot of money, far more than the five and a half thousand a year that I get for each individual kid, that is going towards troubled children, usually linked with troubled families, and no one's held to account. Mm. And then they have the damn cheek to hold schools to account when they're trying to do the right thing. So let's look at the youth justice system, um, and let's try and bring up our kids properly. Let's get the trendy Wendy nose ring Tony ponytail brigade out of the way all right and let's start talking to these children as they are children yeah. we've got to stop abdicating our responsibilities as adults we do know best yes well we i mean stop, we've know, been looking at videos make mistakes. yeah serge we've been looking at videos for the last week and a half now of kids where it was kids in nottingham yesterday rampaging through a mcdonald's yeah. uh, we've seen the kids in oxford street a couple of weekends ago they're obviously kids somebody's children uh, they're yeah. obviously some school's responsibility as well but they don't give a damn, these kids. Well, because they don't, well, they're going to get let off. They yeah. know that. And then they'll wait till they're, you know, 18 when they're not kids anymore. Mm. And then we're spending, as Tyson said, we're spending 100 grand a year locking them up. Yeah, I know. You know? And so 
it, it's it's a mad system. We've it's been going getting worse and worse and worse. But I'm afraid it starts with law and order. Sorry, that'll be another lawyer for you, probably. Yeah, well, most probably <laughs> law law and order. You know, do we want our children to respect the law? I think most people in this country would say, you know what, a bit of strictness, bringing up kids, knowing where they stand. So when they do something bad, we haven't got a social worker giving them a cuddle to say, well, it's not your fault because whatever circumstances it is, he only confused them. Yeah. They just think, well, they're kids. Well, yeah. maybe what I did, one, wasn't that bad in the first place. Two, it wasn't even my fault. And there's a shot, they might do it again yeah. until they get to that well, certain this is age. It. I mean, I learned at a very early age um, that going to confession was the way was the way forward because I was yeah. raised as a Catholic, uh, and basically they said you can do anything you like as long as you do three Hail Marys afterwards. That's everything's good. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, it didn't exactly teach me not to misbehave, and I think that's the same problem that that you. I was going to talk to you about Tony Blair and his ideas about GCSEs, oh. but oh. but <laughs> this is far more interesting. But we'll get I you back on. Is. We'll get you back on to do that because because uh, we're out of time. But listen, great to talk to you, Serge. Great to have you on as a as a uh, as a guest, and we'll definitely make it a regular thing. Uh, because Serge Sefai makes an awful lot of sense and there's not too many head teachers that do that in my estimation so thank you very much Serge uh, he's from the Sacred Heart School in London uh, it's a city centre school inner city school uh, they've got their own way of dealing with things it's not the easiest place in the world to grow up in the centre of South London but Serge is there and he helps an awful lot of people through an awful lot of hard times and I think people like him should be absolutely celebrated uh, and praised this is of course the Independent Republic of Mike Graham these are the kind of people we get to talk to you because it's all about making sense of what is going on. We've heard from Tyson Fury. Uh, we've heard from Serge. Let's hear from you. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk TV. On DAB Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Coming up, Susan Hall, uh, Chairman of the Police and Crime Committee at the London Assembly, will join us soon uh, in the studio. Just ahead uh, of this uh, particular text that I've got uh, from Mary, who says, Crime in London, Mike. We used to be so proud of our capital city. Now I am ashamed of it. Sadiq Khan, since Sadiq Khan became mayor, it has become Sin City. He is so incompetent. Well, I'll tell you what, and I mentioned this um, when I was on with Jeremy Kyle, who's also on this hour as well, or next hour, I should say, uh, when he's filling in for Piers Morgan on Piers Morgan Uncensored, that I walked past what used to be City Hall uh, here just around the corner from uh, London Bridge Station. And it was a very sad sight because you've got the gleaming Tower Bridge lit up at night, looks fantastic, all sorts of great high-rise buildings around it. You've got the walkway so you can walk past the HMS Belfast. It's a lovely kind of summer's night thing to do beautiful um, restaurants where you can sit outside and marvel at the skyline but the one sort of blot on the landscape if you like is City Hall because it sits there it's a very unusually designed round building like a ball um, but it's in complete darkness the windows are filthy because it's never been cleaned because they all said they couldn't afford to clean it and it's just an absolute and utter mess it's horrible and it's a real eyesore and I'm going to talk to Susan Hall about that and also about the real problems we're having with Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Uh, not only in London, but all over the country. There's a sort of violent crime wave that we seem to be uh, experiencing and we don't really know why it's suddenly happening. Let's talk to Brendan, who's in Yorkshire. Hello, Brendan. Hi there, Mike. You're right. Yeah, good, sir. What can I do for you? Yeah, I normally call under a different name. I'm frightened of a backlash on this because I'm really angry. I nearly said a different word then. All right, yeah. then. Well, 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 OK. Well, whatever your name is, Brendan, go ahead. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, we moved to the um, to the coast, away from the cities. We saw it. We knew it was coming. We yeah, how bad it is. Mm. So we're now on the coast. We've been here two years. We've got two um, halfway houses with refugees and uh, drug addicts. Yeah, crime has increased massively. Everything gets smashed. Your car gets gets burgled. Your uh, drug dealing out the back. Mm. Um, so it's coming this way. It's coming. It's, it's everywhere. Um, police intervention. Nothing. Right. So. My typical day, uh, my typical Saturday, I take the dog down to the seafront. So this is what I do. I have to go around the drug dealers in the back alleys right. to get to the streets. I get to the street where there are illegal beggars. Yeah, And if you say no, they start effing and jeffing and screaming. They're sitting there with their fags in their mouth right. and their tins of beer. And two of them live in the halfway house. They so must be their part-time job. Right. So, and so is this, um, the, is this on your way literally to the beach? This is going to the beach. Right. So I get through the lovely harbour, get to the the um, uh, get to the the, the prom mm. on the steps of the theatre at the back, and I sat there for twenty minutes and listened to everything and watched. Uh, this is last Saturday. We have dealers sitting there serving uh, cocaine and heroin and um, weed. They yeah. run off to the toilets. They then come back and sell what they want. They had a queue like an ice cream. Um, it's unreal, isn't it? Absolutely yeah. unreal. Any police Family anywhere near? Fast. So if any, everyone. Is there any police anywhere nearby? Uh, this, this is the thing. This is the thing. Because of um, just another hundred metres Danish, there were twenty youths, and not English youths. I don't like saying that, but they were definitely refugees that have come in, yeah. screaming from the top, drinking. Hey, girly, I am man. I will have you. And it kept going. It kept get, for every thirteen and fourteen year old girl going past. Yeah. We get we get slapped with a band or a, uh, if the police hear his wolf whistle. Mm. Yeah. A hundred metres again is this great big stand with two, uh, three fat, rosy-cheeked, tooled-up policemen, mm. four PCSOs and a load of volunteers and big banners saying, we're policing your community, we're here for you. But and they're they not doing anything. This. They can hear these going on, so I asked them if they would deal with it. And the answer was, oh, we're on, um, we're on public relations today. Um, <laughs> and um, I, mean... I said, why don't you call it in? 
I said, but you're here. Yes. Yeah. And I said very sarcastically then, yeah, because they were like laughing policemen. Yeah? I said, you enjoy your ice cream. And one of them said, sir, there's no need to be like that. And I thought, if I swear now, they'll arrest me. They would. I'm sure they would, yeah. because that's easy. And that's so much I'm, easier I'm, than having to go and break up a crowd of people who are being obnoxious. So they did nothing, and nothing was done, and you know, and nothing will be done. Mm. We're considering now moving out of the UK yeah. and going somewhere else. We understand we can buy some cheap um, dinghy boats from Felixstowe, get ourselves over to France and make <laughs> our way to Albania, where it's going to be crime-free soon. <laughs> well, so. I, mean, I mean, be my guest. I mean, certainly what you've just described, I'm sure, will sound very familiar to an awful lot of people in an awful lot of towns uh, up and down this country, because the police... I mean, what's all this about? We're on PR duty. Really? Well, a good bit of PR would be actually to make some arrests of people who are a nuisance, wouldn't it? For heaven's sake. Brendan, thanks. Let's talk to Terry, who's in Leeds. Hi, Terry. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very well, sir. What can I do for you? The immigrants? Yeah. Well, a couple of points. If I go to France without a passport, or go to France and stay over 90 days, I'm thrown out. Yeah. So they're breaking their own law. Yeah, I know. Those people on the beach there. It's incredible. I don't understand why there are so many organisations and people in this country who think this is okay and it can just continue for the rest of time as, mean, it, gets, as, as it gets bigger and bigger these, and bigger. Or if we got hold of all these dinghies that are lined up, we've seen them, which, by the way, are all exactly the same, so they're getting them from one place. Yeah, yeah. And we sent 25,000 people over. It's incredible, isn't it? When you think about the numbers and you think about what's been happening, 5,000 people in this month alone, if that continues, you know, we've got another 20,000, 25,000 coming before uh, the end of the year. Yeah, but they must be breaking their own law. There must be something in law that, you know, I mean, how are they getting into France, let alone getting over to us? Well, that's easy. They're letting them in without passports, surely. Well, presumably they walk into Germany, which is where they were asked to walk into. Do you remember when Angela Merkel said, anyone from Syria is welcome here, so all you've got to do is say from Syria... Um, and then you continue on and you keep going until you get to Calais and then you come here because they don't want to stay in France. And there's a reason for that. Because the, madness, French, the French will not give them the kind of comfort that we will. No, no. It's, it's just it's incredible. It's totally crazy. We've just, got to do something. Just incredible. Yeah, we've got to do something, Terry. You're absolutely right. And I'm sick to death of all these people who say, oh, yeah, but it's not illegal to come here and seek asylum because there's no other legal route to do it. See, as I say, let's see how they like it if we if we mm. fill those dinghies that we've taken off them and sent 25,000 English people over to the beach. Will they just let us stay on the beach? Uh, no, I think it's a straight answer to that. Um, incredible stuff. Terry, thank you. Diana's in Northampton. Hi, Diana. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Um, oh, I'm fine, thanks. Um, I want to talk about the interview you had with Dan Hodges. Yes. Um, right. I believe that, firstly, smart meters are a con. I refuse to have one. I agree with you. And... I I advise everybody, don't listen to the amount they tell you you need to pay. Mm. Take control. I read, they told me I need to pay, at this moment, £133 a month. I'm a pensioner. That's almost one week's money. That's ridiculous. And how much has it gone up from? uh, 53. Goodness me. Um, Now, so what I do, I refuse to pay that. Every fortnight, I read my meter, I put it in online, I get an up-to-date tally within seconds, and I've worked out the most I pay per week for basic electric, because I've got no gas, is £2 a week. So that is £60 a month. Yeah. 
so that's what they get. Why should... so? You mean you know, two pounds a day, are, don't you? Sorry? So you mean two pounds a day? Yeah, sorry, yes. two no, that's pounds okay. a day. Right. So I, I read the meter fortnightly. Yeah. Obviously, it will go up in the winter because I'll be using more. Right. Now, another case in point is my daughter, who has a husband and three children. That's a family of five. She was told to pay for gas, dual fuel, £400 a month. So she stopped her direct debit, mm. and she reads her meter monthly, and it's 120 Yeah. Not 400 Of course. So, well, I've said for a long time, Dan, if you've been listening to my show... Don't have direct debits that they can take money from you without yeah, even asking it, your permission. Well, I do still do the direct debit, but I can control it. I mm. can increase or reduce it online. Right. But the, the point I'm making is they have the audacity to um, declare these profits while they're robbing us, yeah. basically robbing us. People, wake up. Don't allow this. Yeah. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I'm so pleased that you've said all this, Diana, because a lot of people will be very worried about the warnings they're getting and the, and the bills that they're being asked to pay. But an awful lot of these bills that they're being asked to pay are basically forecasted by the, the power companies. And they said, well, this is what we think you're going to be paying next year. So you better start paying us now. No, pay, pay for what you use. It's as simple as that. Another million in the bank. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The thing is, the people that are suffering, I mean, I'm 74. I'm old, but I'm not stupid. Right. But there are people of my age, older and younger, who do not do things online and who are of a generation and a mindset that when you're told to do something, you do it. You yeah. don't argue. Right. Get over it. Exactly. Absolutely. Resist, I think, is the word you're looking for. Resist these people who say that they want more money from you. Resist their calls for you to get a direct debit. Resist uh, their calls for you to get a smart meter as well. Because at the end of the day, you know how much uh, energy you use. You pay them that. And when they want more payment after you've used some more, then you pay them that. Don't ever give them any money ahead of time. Don't ever give them money that you haven't actually used. Be sensible. There's nothing illegal about resisting their calls for taking all of your money because res resisting is the way forward. I tell you that because right now a lot of people are paying for what they might be paying in the future. And that's what the energy companies want from you. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number to call us on. You, you can, of course, tweet us as well. Uh, we are here all the way through the day. I'm here till one o'clock. We're going to be back on the talk tonight. Coming up in the next hour, we're going to be joined by Susan Hall, uh, who is the chairman of the Police and Crime Committee at the London Assembly. She'll have plenty to say about some of the criminality we've been seeing this morning. We've got video footage of um, a mob overrunning a McDonald's in uh, Nottingham. Uh, we've obviously got footage of people being robbed in uh, daylight in the middle of London, in part, wealthy parts of London. She'll have plenty to say about that. And of course, this comes on the top of that dreadful event last night where a nine-year-old girl was shot dead in Liverpool. Unbelievable times we seem to be living in and nobody knows why things have gotten quite as violent. You just heard from Brendan up in Yorkshire there uh, what his day is like if he takes his dog to the beach. It sounds absolutely horrendous. And the police, it would seem, are not even interested Criminals, uh, says Andy, must be looking at the state of the police and thinking it's Christmas. Because, after all, this is what the left brings us. Debauchery, violent crime, multiple genders, climate nonsense, mask-wearing for a cold, and all the while, people creating the issues are living large. Hard to disagree with that. This is Talk TV. On DAB+, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
Welcome back to the Home of Common Sense. This is, of course, the Independent Republican Mike Graham here with you until 1pm when Nick Dubois will be here. Uh, he had Penny Mordant on yesterday. I'll be asking him how that went, uh, what she had to say for herself. We'll be talking, of course, about uh, the terrible, terrible crime up in Liverpool. Uh, they're still searching for the gunman uh, who shot nine-year-old uh, a girl dead. Uh, unfortunately, um, she was simply caught in the crossfire shot dead in her own home. Uh, obviously, it was a gang-related scenario. Little Olivia Pratt-Corbell was um, the victim of somebody who ran into the, her house without any uh, permission being sought and was then chased into the corridor by the man with a gun uh, who then fired the gun. Uh, and unfortunately for Olivia, one of the bullets hit her in the chest and she uh, wasn't quite dead on arrival at the hospital, but there wasn't anything that they could do for her. Um, Terry in Birmingham on the subject of youth crime. Mike, sorry, but it will be too late for children being born now. The lefty Liberals couldn't get in by the ballot box, so they went underground and have infiltrated all of our institutions from universities to the civil service, the police and all of these minority demonstrative groups too. The place is turning into a cesspit. Uh, well, let's talk to Maggie Oliver, former detective constable and founder, of course, of the Maggie Oliver Foundation, um, um, because the problem that she has been fight fighting, of course, um, has been the criminal gangs uh, in some cities in the north of England, particularly in Rotherham, uh, particularly in Rochdale, uh, trying to get the police to take notice of a series of crimes that were being committed uh, against young women, often young white working class women who were being raped systematically, who were being sexually assaulted. And Maggie, of course, has been uh, hailed as the sole campaigner on this for so long. Uh, and she's finally seeing some sign of success where more and more people are being prosecuted for what they did. But unbelievably, uh, we now have a situation where Rotherham, one of the places where grooming gangs kind of were born, has been named as the UK's first ever children's capital of culture. Doesn't seem to make an awful lot of sense. Uh, let's say a very good morning to Maggie Oliver. Maggie, how are you doing? Good morning, Mike. Nice Thank to be with you. Yeah, nice to, to see you again. Thanks for, for joining us. This seems to beg a belief, really. This I don't know who makes these kind of decisions. I don't even know what children's capital of culture means. But, I mean, Rotherham, really? Um, you know, I agree with you. And it, it, it's the same nonsense that we had the other week from both Rishi Sunak and... Um, uh, and this trust, you know, they they seem to feel that just by announcing something like this, miraculously, we will have a complete change in culture, in attitudes, in how these kids are um, treated. And it needs far, far more than just simply words. You know, we, you know, Mike, we have a system now. Um, the police um, and the criminal justice system is just not fit mm. for purpose. And and I see this as another attempt to, um, you know, it, it's about uh, smoke and mirrors. This will not change the reality and, of children being failed on mm. a monumental scale. And actually, I, I find it really insulting for children um, and for the people of Rotherham that they think that this alone will suddenly transform the way that um, these... Um, these cases are mm. dealt with because it just won't. No, it's a very sort of Blairite PR way to deal with things, isn't it? Because we saw the same in Bradford. Bradford was named City of Culture uh, for 2023 or something, I think. Um, and yeah. then just last week, it was named as the most dangerous city in Europe. You know, not least yeah. because of the fact that uh, an awful lot of sex crime was committed there, but because it had uh, per head of population more crime than anywhere else in the continent of Europe. Yeah, I mean, you know, I spend a lot of time um, out of the country and I see 
I mean, for instance, in Spain, you know, you, you can barely walk five yards without seeing a police officer mm. walking around or sitting having a, a coffee. You know, we don't have enough police officers anymore. Um, we don't have um, a court system that works. We have barristers on strike. We have courts closing down. We need really a serious investment in our criminal justice system. Um, and for me, this is um, it's a PR exercise. I think that the, the reality is so that because of, you know, in large part to my um, speaking about this repeatedly, the cat is out of the bag throughout the country. Mm. And when the public see an announcement like this, I'm sure that everybody like me says, are they having a laugh? You know, we've poured billions into COVID and, you know, track and trace that didn't work. We've lined the pockets of people who have gone away with all this money. Mm. If a fraction of that money had gone into the criminal justice system, we wouldn't have a system that is unfit for purpose. We wouldn't have children being abused daily. Um, and their perpetrators just walking away, even when they are charged, the sentences are completely inadequate for the crimes for which they are guilty. Uh, an announcement from you know, Rishi Sunak saying they're going to look at it is not going to put it right. It's 20 years of neglect mm. here that um, is going to take serious, serious investment and commitment, not just a, you know, an easy announcement. Words are easy. Action is what it takes. Um, I'm, I'm not seeing any action, Mike. Well, there's no action being taken at all. I mean, literally um, in the past two or three weeks alone, we've seen more and more footage of, of lawlessness. We've seen, you know, people being attacked in broad daylight with knives, with machetes. You see people ram-raiding shops with the back of a car. You know, you see yeah. kids rampaging through Nottingham's McDonald's and nobody's yeah. doing anything. And the police, no. I mean, seven, I think, different police forces in this country are in special measures, including Manchester, including Scotland yeah. Yard and the Metropolitan Police. Data from the Home Office, I think, earlier this month showed uh, that it's around about, it's, it's all less than 10% of house raids, robberies, thefts being being solved. Nobody's even investigating them and then charging anyone. And even if they are charged, they probably don't go to prison. And that's true. I mean, you know, um, I started my own charity, the Maggie Oliver Foundation, and we um, fight alongside victims and survivors of uh, sexual abuse, not just grooming gangs. Um, and, you know, we try and advocate for those victims throughout the country. But all through the country, uh, victims are coming to us. They're having the door slammed in their face when they report these crimes. Mm. And you know as well as I do that if you report a burglary now, you, you're very lucky to get a police officer yeah. to come anywhere near you. We've got policing on the cheap. Even when I joined the police, you know, um, people were getting a housing allowance. You were getting a 30-year pension. You had a, a reasonably good uh, salary. You know, we've got PCSOs doing the work of police officers now on the cheap. And I don't think we're going to resolve this problem without serious investment. I think we need a Royal Commission looking at policing throughout the country. It's not just Rotherham. Mm. Um, it's everywhere. And it isn't just grooming gangs. It is policing in general. You know, they, they, they you know, we, we often hear of them going to police. Somebody who's put a, an offensive message on Twitter. Mm. Um, I'm not blaming the individual police officers because I think that they are not trained effectively. They are underpaid. They're under-resourced. I lay the, the, the blame clearly at the feet of chief constables who are political pawns, yeah. of the Home Office, of repeated governments, Conservative and Labour, 
who have neglected to invest in our public services. Policing is just one of them. The NHS is another. Education is another. And I think we've come to, you know, the, the end of the road where the country needs people who know what to do to run these public services. Because, you know, from where I'm sitting, um, I see a country that has really neglected public services. And we are reaping the benefits, yeah. that, you know, the consequences of that now. Yeah, um, I, don't think I don't think there's any doubt, Maggie, that, that the world of, of public service has changed dramatically in, in your and my lifetime. You know, it yeah. used to be about service. It used to be about not getting paid an awful lot of money, but having pretty good benefits and decent yeah. pension and all of that kind of thing. Now it's sort of riddled and filled up with diversity um, managers and sustainability yeah. managers and all of this crap, which has nothing yeah. to do with the job. Yeah, I, I, you know what? I couldn't agree with you more, Mike. And, you know, I mean, I'm known for policing, but, um, you know, the, I feel as though the blinkers have come off my eyes yeah. in a way. Over, over the past 10 years, 15 years, I began this journey. When I resigned from Greater Manchester Police, I initially thought it was one lazy officer who wasn't doing his job. Yeah. But over a period of 10 years, I've seen that it isn't one officer. It's a system that has deliberately turned away from children who are being abused. But I also look at all our other public services and you look at what's going on in the country now. We've got a crisis and, you know, um, a cost of living crisis and, and a crisis in, you know, in people in our country that I have never seen in my lifetime. And where are the government where are the politicians how are they looking to put this right for mm. ordinary people who are living in terror yeah. of how they're gonna pay i don't know how an ordinary working family um survived you know a thousand pound is a minimum wage how are they going to live um and yet where are those people entrusted with looking after mm. the finances of the country this is not an answer to grooming gangs it is an easy soundbite which will not put it right and you know these problems stretch way beyond grooming gangs um, they stretch through policing as a whole through the criminal justice system i would say through the nhs through education we trains you know everywhere you look mm. we have got things falling apart who is going to take control and who is going to address it um, and it makes me really angry really sad but um we do need somebody to take a grip and, and i really don't know who that person is mm. Yeah, maybe we haven't got a person, but we certainly need a government to do it. Maggie, fantastic to talk to you. Thank you so much. Maggie Oliver, former detective constable, founder of the Maggie Oliver Foundation. There's so much common sense being spoken on this show. You would begin to think that actually maybe we should put the government together with people like Tyson Fury and Maggie Oliver and Surge. I mean, I bet you any money we'd get something done by Friday week. This is Talk TV. Uh, we'll be back, of course, after the news. Uh, we'll be speaking to a chief, former chief constable, um, former detective constable, I should say, um, about what is going on in the world of policing, how we can fix the problems that we have, because we can talk about it all day, uh, but we might as well get some decent ideas as to what to do about it. There's another headline here that will cheer you up. Energy crisis could last three years, says the National Grid. Unbelievable. These are the people that run the energy. And they're saying it's in crisis. Well, why don't you fix it then? This is Talk TV. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, Talk Radio and Talk TV. With Cinch, turn this into this. Cinch is the easy way to buy a car. With the biggest range of cars to buy entirely online. They're all quality checked and carefully reconditioned. With free home delivery straight to your door. So with the biggest range to buy entirely online, great quality cars, 
and free home delivery. You can be certain you've absolutely cinched it. Search cinch today. Verify at cinch.co.uk forward slash range claim. Delivery to GB mainland Isle of Wight and Scottish Islands only. Streaming exclusively on Disney Plus. Let's do this. Say hello to the newest member of the Hulk family. I'm Jennifer Walters. I'm a lawyer who happens to be a Hulk. In Marvel Studios' new original series, She-Hulk. The transformations are triggered by anger and fear. Those are like the baseline of any woman just existing. You're going to like her. He doesn't mean that. When she's angry. Can we get some shots, please? It's an emergency. Marvel Studios She-Hulk, an original series now streaming exclusively on Disney Plus. 18 plus subscription required. T's and C's apply. This is Emma. Hiya. Emma works at McDonald's in Merthyr Tidville. She's a shift manager, a vital part of the team. Well, I try. But more importantly, Emma's a mum of three. So when she decided to come back to work, Emma needed hours that fitted with her kids' school days. I really did. So we did what we could to make that happen. And it helped a lot. Well, you're part of our family too, Emma. Ah, thanks. Let's balance life and work together. Apply today at mcdonalds.co.uk slash jobs. At Lidl, we're big on a summer of quality for all. So it's time to clink those gin glasses with our award-winning Hortus Gin from 1499. Crack a cold one with a range of beers from just 99p or perhaps pop some corks with a rosé prosecco for just 6.99. Now that's big on quality and always Lidl on price. Subject to availability, selected stores excludes NI. When you rented a 4x4 at Booking.com super easily, casually steer it over gorgeous mountain roads, step out at an ancient market drenched in foreign scents, give a friendly nod to the performer balancing on the slackline, and with a confident smile, climb onto the rope yourself. That's when you realize, unfortunately, not everything is as easy as Booking.com. Easily find rental cars in over 145 countries. If only everything was as easy as Booking.com, Booking.yeah. Beach towel. Bucket and spade. Blow up Lilo. And book a boiler service. That's right. At just £49 instead of 90 summer's the perfect time to show your boiler a little love. So book a summer service today with British Gas and get your boiler ready for when you really need it. Search British Gas Boiler Service. Terms, exclusions and geographical restrictions apply. Offer ends 31st of August. EE Full Fiber Broadband can connect 100 devices around your home, like laptops, smartphones, smart TVs, smart fridges, even smart kettles. You can connect them all. Pretty impressive, huh? This is EE Full Fiber Broadband, powered by BT. Limited availability. Check coverage at ee.co.uk. On TV, on radio, and on your smartphone, this is Talk TV. Talk TV News at 12. Good afternoon. I'm Nadira Tudor. A 35-year-old man has been arrested in connection with the fatal shooting of a nine-year-old girl in Liverpool. Merseyside police say he was the target of the shooting and has breached the terms of his release from prison relating to a different offence. He'll be questioned in connection with the murder. Olivia Pratt Corbell was shot in the chest as she stood behind her mother, who was also hit by a bullet when the gunman ran into their house. A manhunt is still underway for the shooter, and one former gang member in Liverpool told us he believes names will be given to police to help their investigation. Maybe not in all cases you may look at the conscience and come forward as feeling feeling bad with the victim, but in, in the criminal fraternity, uh, you have a habit of giving information to police on, on different different matters. 
uh, in return for something back. So uh, I anticipate that names will be given forward and, and the suspects will be arrested. Boris Johnson offered his heartfelt congratulations to the Ukrainian people on today's Independence Day, insisting that for however long it takes, the United Kingdom will stand with you. Today also marks six months since Russia's invasion began and public gatherings are banned in Kyiv over fears of a Russian attack. Meanwhile, for the first time on record, the UK imported no fuel from Russia during the month of June. It follows a raft of sanctions over the invasion of Ukraine. At least 20 people have been arrested after Just Stop Oil protesters allegedly damaged fuel pumps and glued themselves to forecourts at service stations on the M25. Surrey police said Clackett Lane remains closed due to damage. The jury in the Ryan Giggs trial has started its second day of deliberations. The former Manchester United footballer is accused of using controlling and coercive behaviour against his ex-girlfriend Kate Greville and assaulting her and her younger sister. He denies all charges. Olympian Katie Archibald has said she tried desperately to save her partner, mountain biker Rab Wardell, as he suffered a fatal cardiac arrest in bed beside her yesterday morning. It happened just days after he won the Scottish MTB XC Championships. Archibald said she couldn't describe the pain and hated talking about him in the past tense. And Dame Deborah James' posthumously published book has debuted at number one in the UK. The book, How to Live When You Could Be Dead, was completed by the journalist in her final weeks. Dame Deborah, known as Bal Babe, died in June, five years after being diagnosed with cancer. Now time for today's weather with Nazanin Gaffer. World News. Sponsors Talk TV Weather. Hello. Sunny for some today, but soggy for others. And the reason why it's remaining unsettled like that is because we still have low pressure systems nearby. And we've also got this waving front, as you can see, draped across the UK, bringing spells of rain over the next 24 hours. In fact, for this morning, it's a rather wet start across the majority of Scotland, particularly around central, southern and eastern areas, as well as over northern England, Wales and the West Country too. Everywhere else, it's mostly fine and dry, but it is rather muggy. And it stays humid into this afternoon. Afternoon. We see that rain clear from Scotland, so it becomes brighter there. But for the west of Scotland and parts of Northern Ireland, it will be quite blustery near to the centre of the low with a few showers. Meanwhile, spells of rain with some heavy downpours will continue across parts of Western England, Northern England, Wales, perhaps towards the West Midlands too. But for central, southern and eastern parts of England, yet again, it will be another sunny, warm, very warm day. In fact, around parts of the east where temperatures will be close to 30 degrees Celsius. Then overnight, the rain continues across northern and western parts of England and Wales and into tomorrow as well. In fact, there will also be a rash of thunderstorms spreading northwards over eastern parts of England. And as those two areas of rain collide, there could be some really intense downpours with localised flooding. Times World News. Sponsors Talk TV Weather. Unrivaled talk, Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Online on DAB+, Talk Radio and Talk TV. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV with you all the way through until one o'clock, of course, and when Nick Dubois will be here. He's filling in for Ian Collins this afternoon uh, and the rest of the week, of course, as well. Lots to talk about. We've been going on uh, about the education system in this country, how that could be reformed, how children uh, can go from bad to worse if they're not treated properly in schools, how they can possibly go off the rails uh, and then never come back on them uh, and end up in a situation where they are carrying a gun or they are carrying a knife. We're going to speak uh, coming up to Palm Sandu, former Metropolitan Police Chief Superintendent, about what it is that the police could be doing uh, and why people are blaming the police. I think you have to be a bit careful here that you're not blaming the police for all of the terrible thuggery and the killing and the stabbing and the shooting that's going on because an awful lot of the people doing that are very bad people indeed. And what you have to do is take account of where that's happening why it's happening, whether the police could do more, or whether the criminal justice system actually is the thing that you need to look at. Because at the end of the day, as Tyson Fury said, if you can't walk down the street in a civilised country without fear of being robbed, then there is something very, very wrong indeed. Let's talk to Palm and find out uh, what's going on. Palm, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon, Mike. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, this is a very broad subject, and I'm not expecting you to provide me with all the answers or anything like that. But I mean, a lot of people are asking me, what is it that the police could be doing uh, that might stop some of the thuggery? I mean, forget about for the moment the terrible killing of, of the little nine year old girl. But just in terms of what we're seeing, you know, where you've got gangs of kids roaming into a McDonald's in uh, Nottingham, stealing whatever they want to put their hands on. People in Oxford Street in London a couple of weekends ago just rampaging into shops and looting from them and running away. You know, there seems to be a kind of a pattern emerging, doesn't there? And I think you were quite right when you started off your conversation in saying you can't blame the police because you absolutely can't. Police officers do the best they can, but they're being asked to unglue protesters. They're being asked to deal with mental health issues. They're being asked to go to cardiac arrests because they're trained in first aid. Mm. What most police officers want and what the public want from them is a return to basics, as in return to policing. Police officers sign up to to a certain job description. They're not being allowed to do that because they're being pulled and pushed into services that have retracted, that have not had the public funding. That includes the public, the criminal justice system, probation services, social services, and the NHS as well. Yeah. And that's the problem, isn't it? Because while there might be enough police to go around, because we have seen situations where perhaps they've been ordered to do the wrong thing and more police have turned up for something you wouldn't think would be necessary. Um, But you're right. They are being asked to do a load of different things. And I mean, where does the fault lie there? Because presumably that's government business, is it? Is that government business to say to each individual sort of department, whether it's the Department of Health, whether it's social care, whether it is, um, I don't know, um, other parts of, of, of the public sector, that they shouldn't have to be doing those kind of jobs? And you're right, they shouldn't have to be doing it. But the other services have had to withdraw because of lack of money, lack of resources. Mm. And one of the really good examples is the NHS staff. They work incredibly hard. The ambulance service, they work incredibly hard. Now they're queuing up to unload patients. So when there's a heart attack, police officers are getting calls. We are calling police officers to come and deal with heart attacks because there's no ambulance Mm. available and there are no NHS staff available. So it goes back to the funding. Because all of the systems, all of the processes have broken and the funding hasn't been there for about 20 odd years, um, that's why it's failing and that's why police are fulfilling that gap and they're not doing their own jobs. Their own job is to prevent lawlessness. Mm. It's to make us safe on our streets and in our homes. And quite rightly, you, you point out the 
issue with a little girl killed in her own home in her pajamas because police couldn't keep her safe. The community couldn't keep her safe. Mm. It's not just a police matter. This is everybody and every, all of us have a have a contribution yeah. to make. I mean, knowing what you do about um, the, the the Metropolitan Police and how they operate, when you see something like what happened in Oxford Street, where these kids are literally just rampaging into shops, taking what they want, coming out, handing it out to different people, and just kind of carrying on down the street. I mean, you can see people terrified as they watch that going on, who were just in in London maybe to do a bit of shopping, maybe tourists and that kind of thing. I mean, in normal circumstances, what would the police be? trying to do there because we've seen them before being told to sort of stay back um, film it go and get these people later we don't want to create a public order problem i mean are there are there issued instructions that that, that you would know that they would be given there aren't issued instructions that you have to judge that situation there and then mm. now if there's only two of two police officers there and there's a gang of 50 you can't arrest all 50 and the best thing is to film them, identify them, and then arrest them. Right. But what's happening at the moment is we used to have police officers walking up and down Oxford Street. Yeah. We used to have police officers walking up and down outside your house. We haven't got that luxury anymore because it is a luxury. And when I saw those videos emerging of those young people looting those shops, imagine how that is seen across the world. Right. We are a civilised country and yet we have looting in this country, mm. and they're looting for sweets. And not only that, what these young people, these children, don't realise is that they will get a conviction for burglary, for theft, for assault, and they're young people. But the the intervention at school isn't happening because we have we're having to pull police officers out. Um, so those interventions aren't ha- happening at an early enough stage to actually be role models to direct people to keep them on the rails. There's a whole host of issues that just merge into that one um, display of awfulness yes but i mean we were looking at some figures just a little while ago with maggie oliver uh, released by the home office i think in early august showing that you know the conviction rates for things like burglary and for theft and and for those types of crimes are all around about five percent you know some of them below five percent and it's a very low rate is there a problem with getting uh, convictions through the system the rate is lower now than it, I think it has been in about 20 years. Yeah. And it's even worse when you look at rapes and you look at serious assaults. Um, it takes, I'll give you an example, for, for a rape it takes between 18 months and two years to get it to court. Mm. So when you are getting people um, charged, it takes a number of years to get them to court. On the first date, a witness might not turn up or there's some paperwork missing. So a second date is set, set mm. and a third date. By the time you actually get to hear that case, people have lost interest. It's years ago. Yeah. Um, papers have been lost. Um, people aren't as committed to, to giving evidence as they could have been at, at the right time. So there's a failure in the whole criminal justice system. There's not enough money. There's not enough courts. We're not bringing people to justice quickly enough and effectively enough. And the rates, the conviction rates are absolutely appalling. Yeah, they really are. And in terms of, say, gun and knife crime, um, gun crime probably more seriously attached to the criminal gangs that that we know exist in this country, many of them involved with the drug business. But in terms of just like, say, teenagers carrying knives, without stop and search, I mean, how are you going to cope with that? And how would you suggest that, that the police improve, I don't know, possibly convincing more children not to carry knives? We are fortunate in this country that gun crime isn't as high as it is in other countries. Mm. So we are fortunate in that respect. But what we need to do is we need to make sure that those people who are caught with guns are taken off the streets quickly. 
the guns are taken off the streets quickly and they are dealt with and made an example of. That's how you can reduce the carriage of guns and knives as well. Yeah. Because that's the only, you've got to have the deterrent. If people are going to court and they, only a third of those individuals are getting custodial sentences for knife crimes or carrying knives, then where's the example? But if we haven't got enough courts, we haven't got enough spaces in the prisons, how do we actually um, enforce that deterrent? So there are, there are ways of dealing with it. We just need the funding, we need the money, we need commitment from mm. our politicians to actually enforce these regulations and laws. Yeah, I mean, Tyson Fury's been talking today about um, the death of his cousin who was stabbed to death uh, up in Altrincham recently. Um, he was saying, lock him up five to seven years just for possession of a knife. Would, would that work? The people who are carrying knives have to be judged on each individual case. But I do agree that people do need to be locked up. They need to be made examples of. If you're... Um, letting, if you're taking the knife away from that young person, they're going to go and get another knife and another knife. So they have to be dealt with properly. And if that means intervention from schools, social services, or if they're older, you know, whatever appropriate intervention they need. But yeah, I do actually agree with the intervention because I'm now in my head, I'm thinking about the guy in a mobility scooter. Yeah. Who was he harming? What was his crime? Yeah. And yet he was stabbed to death in broad daylight. Yeah. There is only you know, there's, there's only one solution for the person who could even yeah. think about doing that sort of thing. Absolutely. And what about when people are arrested? Is there a rule that says that they can't, cannot be drug tested or they can be drug tested? Can you only test them uh, if they seem as if they might be on drugs? Um, if, you, if there is a suspicion of drugs, then yes, you can test them. But drugs isn't always the reason that people carry knives. I mean, some of the young people are misguided and they carry them for self-protection. Mm. But quite often, those same knives are used against them or they're taken off them and used to perpetrate other crimes. So the reasons that people carry knives aren't always as, as clear-cut as drugs offences or, you know, because they're on drugs or whatever, whatever that reason is. There are some young people that just need that, that guidance and that, that will make a mistake. Yes, of course. And, I mean, I guess um, at the moment, if you get caught with a knife... The idea would be that you would be charged with something, but presumably an awful lot of the time, um, the police aren't able to do that for whatever reason and they just let them go. Whatever happens, if somebody is arrested with a knife, they will be, there will be a record made. A referral will be made to social services, a referral will be made to the schools. So there will be an intervention. Even if that doesn't end up in, in court, something will happen and there will be some action taken against that young person. So it's not a case of nothing happens because... The, the, the fact that we've got such a low conviction rate is because of the number of times that we're taking people to court and we're failing and then we're having to reschedule and the witnesses aren't coming forward. But it doesn't mean that no action is taken. Action it will be taken and they have come to notice. The point as well that people are asking me about at the moment, Palm, is, you know, is it the case that Albanian drug gangs are kind of running the drug business um, in this country? We're hearing an awful lot uh, about people coming over on the dinghies from Albania, a lot of them uh, having been deported and now coming back, apparently, because they've somehow you know chucked away their passports and they've come re-entered the country illegally. Um, is there an issue with, with, with these kinds of people because of the way that they operate? being far more dangerous for our society in terms of the kind of tactics they use and the fear that they put into people? I would be really careful about targeting a particular group of people and saying they are the cause of knife crime or they are the cause of knife uh, gun crime. Because what you've got to look at is you've got to look at the statistics and you'll find that there are plenty of homegrown individuals 
who are carrying knives, running gangs, sure. um, running drugs. And I, I personally would be really careful about blaming the outsiders because then everybody thinks, oh, we're safe and we're not doing anything wrong. And that's where the internal gangs will grow. Um, and there's always going to be those gaps. So personally, I'm, I'm really um, careful about targeting particular diverse groups or ethnicities and saying they are the cause to yeah no i'm not saying the, they're the, the i'm cause. not saying they're the sole cause that's not what i'm saying but what i'm saying is is that certainly there's plenty of evidence to suggest that there are um, an awful lot of gangs in this country uh, trafficking drugs who are coming from albania and that's a known fact which has been reported by the home office so you know it's not in, it's not a, a dangerous thing to say and i'm not saying everybody that comes from albania is in a drug gang but what i'm saying is is that are there tactics because the the new york cops found out uh, the hard way that some of the colombian gangs that were coming into america were using tactics which were so horrible that they were kind of wiping everybody else out in terms of the business and it, it seems that that might be happening here Wherever the gang comes from, whether they're homegrown or from abroad, there will be tactics that can be used. And that's where the intelligence comes in. Um, one of the jobs that police officers have is to, uh, to be the eyes and ears and to listen and find out what the intelligence is, what these people are doing. How are they importing either the, the drugs or the guns or how is it coming into the country and then dealing with those tactics? So where, wherever these people originate from, yes, there are tactics that can be used that are solely focused on that particular gang and their methods. Exactly right. Uh, Palm, thank you very much indeed. Palm Sandu, former Metropolitan Police Chief Superintendent there, uh, on what the police do now, what they could do, maybe how they can't do certain things. Uh, she says it's because they're doing too many other things. Is that the case? 0344 499 1000 will take calls. Coming up next, right here on Talk TV. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.